0: Good morning, everyone, and welcome to a special edition of A Vision for You. The topic is Step 3, and today is Sunday, October 28, 2012. My name is Leah. I'm a recovered compulsive overeater and your moderator for today. Again, this morning... Our topic is step three. Now that you've admitted you're powerless over food, of course that's step one, and you've come to believe that a power greater than yourself can restore you to sanity, referring to step two, now you're ready for step three, which is to make a decision to turn your will and your life over to the care of that higher power. This morning we will be hearing from three recovered compulsive overeaters, each sharing their experience, strength, and hope on step three on that important decision that they each made. Our speakers this morning are Penny E., Janice, and Penny C. Their sharing will be followed by a question and answer period as well. And I'll begin with welcoming Penny E. to the line, please.
1: Good morning, thank you, Leah. Good morning, everybody. My name is Penny E. from uh, South Jersey. I'm a recovered compulsive overeater. Very grateful to be here this morning. Just going to start a little bit with about, uh, a little bit about me. Uh, My abstinent date is November 28, 1988. I'm maintaining a 105-pound weight loss, only through the grace of God, only through the grace of God. Wonderful news is that I have not eaten compulsively for 23 years. The better news than that is that I have not wanted to eat compulsively for 23 years. How? If you're new, you're thinking how? How can this happen, you know? Well, today we're going to talk about step 3. But I can't even begin to st- talk about step three until I start about step with step one. I got to say, I am so nervous. I have spoken at uh, World Service conventions, Region Seven con- conventions. I mean, 23 years I've been doing this. I've told my story. I don't know how many times. And I feel like I'm opening up on Broadway here or something today. I'm so nervous. So I will calm down. I will calm down. I've been praying all morning. So here we go. So I'm going to start with step one because we can't get to step three until we start with step one. There's just no way, you know. We admitted we were powerless over food, that our lives had become unmanageable. And I, you know, have a Ph.D. in powerlessness. Uh, I'm 63 years old now. At age 12, I started. I started. I had my jaws wired shut, went to diet camp, Diet pills at age 12, water pills, amphetamines. I'm reading this because the list goes on and on. Metabolism pills, attending diet workshop, weight loss workshop programs. I lectured at a diet weight loss program. I did Metrical. If you're old enough, if you're as old as I am, you know what Metrical is. I went to psychologists, psychiatrists, self-awareness programs, geographic cures, you know, exercise regimens. Then I found the wonderful world of laxatives, abused laxatives. I abused Ipecac syrup. My father was going to buy me you know, a whole new wardrobe, a new car, um, a Taj Mahal. You know? I was in the hospital two times for food addiction. My relationship took me to a place. I could not stop. I just could not stop. Could not stop. Powerless over food, but I didn't know it. My relationship to food, my frustration, my depression took me to a place where I wanted to kill myself. I couldn't live. I could not live with the food. I couldn't live without the food. So the thought of killing myself uh, came to be a reality. And um, this is where the unmanageability comes in. You know, part two of step one. Um, I didn't get close. I didn't even get close to killing myself. However, The one thing that kept me from doing that, I said I didn't want to leave my incredibly loving parents in grief. You know, how could I leave my wonderful parents who loved me in grief? So the thought came to me I'll kill them first. Kill them first, and then I will be free. Now, if that's not unmanageability, I don't know what is. Uh, The depression was overwhelming. Uh, I reacted to problems with stress and. Uh, I ate myself to to oblivion, I called therapists, I took more medication, I did a lot of sleep, I called out from work. Unmanageability, unmanageability, that's how it was. I was a sick pup, I was going to say a sick cookie, but wrong word. Okay, Uh, today, the wonderful news is today, I am recovered, I am recovered. I recoil as if from a hot flame. I respond totally different. I've been transformed. I respond totally different to stress, drama, problems. I just do. I have a little saying to myself: if uh, any time I try to solve anything outside of the spiritual solution, it doesn't work. You know, I have a group of people around me that I can check things out with. I I solve my problems today to the best of my ability through the spiritual solution, as we've been talking about on on, um, Vision for You and how the big book and the A12 and 12 describes. You know, I always say that big book and the 12 and 12 is our inheritance. You know, Bill... Bob, a hundred other alcoholics gave us this information. They want us to follow it just the way it is. Don't change it. We so often in OA like to change the recipe. I'll take a little bit of this out and I won't do that, and it's okay if I start the steps before I'm abstinent, you know, so on and so forth. They want us to do it exactly, well, I found it works when we do it exactly the way it is in the book. So uh, so I've taken step one. I am fully, fully convinced fully convinced, and I am ready to go on with the steps. Uh, and it does say on page XXZI, fourth edition, that the food must be down, must be down before we go any further. Natural progression, you know, now they've told me I'm powerless, I have absolutely no power, all this control, all this, you know, cross my heart and hope to die business is not going to have any, any help for me at all so i natural a natural progression i go to step 2 came to believe that a power greater than ourselves could restore us to sanity where else am i going to go i, I have no choice today you know I, I really came in here with the willingness to to do whatever you told me and i always say something silly like um um i would have i would no sooner today uh, go to some place other than God or uh, pick up food or um, just to go outside of my, my spiritual solution that I know works for me as far as this program goes. As I would dress in a pink and tiger-striped bikini, you know, and somersault down any main street in America and the whistle some kind of uh, tune. I just wouldn't do it. It's ludicrous. And for me to try anything else today, it's ludicrous. So, yes, I have come to believe, I did come to believe, that a power greater than myself could restore me to sanity. I had no choice. You know, I'm drowning, 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 drowning. Somebody throws me something. I don't even know what it is. You know, a can of tuna fish. I don't know what it is. But I have no, I'm, I'm not in a position to say I'm not going to grab it. Grab onto it. Try it. Maybe it will work. Maybe it will work. So I have to say yes, without a doubt, unequivocally, quivocally, whatever that word is, I came to believe that power greater than myself could restore me to sanity. Which, here comes the natural progression. Step three, which is what our discussion today is about. Made a decision to turn our will and our life over to the care of God as we understood him. So, you know, it sounds really confusing. Sounds like a big deal. Made a decision to turn our will and our life over to the care of God? So how do we take step three? It's really quite simple. It really, really is quite simple. It's really like a yes and no answer. All it is, do I make a decision? And I had no place to go. Where, where else am I going to go? I've got to take the next step. I've got to take it. It's the natural progression. If I've come this far, I've got to take it. So I say yes, you know, I'm in. I'm going to pay my lifetime dues. I was ready to write a check, you know, sell the house, sell the car, you know, I'm paying my lifetime dues. I want this thing. Yes. And then I took step three. It's just that easy. Am I going to make a decision? That's all it is. Uh, the big question is, how do I do that? How do I do that? How do I turn it over to God? Let go. Let God. You know, it's just a cute little phrase. Like uh, Peter pipes a peck of pickled peppers or she sells seashells. You know, I'm trying to turn it over. Uh, I'm going to step meetings. I'm studying the steps. Um, you know, um, making outlines. I'm writing, writing, writing. It's more than that. It's learning to use these steps in our daily life. You know, a refrigerator is no good. You know, I'm trying to use the refrigerator. Trying to use the refrigerator. I always, I always go to food things when, <laughs> when we talk about. Uh, when I want to talk in no way. But the refrigerator doesn't doesn't do me any good if I don't put the food in there. Open it up, put the food in there, and use it. Same with the steps. I have to learn how to use it in my life today. And I've been doing this for 23 years. That's a long time. It's a long time um, through the grace of God. Um, So anyway, that's what I'm going to talk about now. How? How do we turn our life and our will over to the care of God? Well, the AA 12 and 12, and I grew up in this program with only the AA 12 and 12, and I'm grateful, very grateful. The information is incredible there. The answer is in step three in the AA 12 and 12, and it's on page 39 and 40, 39 and 40. And it says, so how exactly can the willing person continued to turn his will and his life over to the higher power. And it continues on the top of page 40. And it says that is just where the remaining steps of the AA program come in. Not sitting in step meetings and reading them and highlighting. You know, I have 49 different colors in my step book, you know, underline and pen. Not that. Talking to a recovered compulsive overeater, how do you use? How do you do this? This is how I did it anyway. How do you do it? How do I turn? How do I put this stuff through the steps? You know, um, and it's and it goes on to say in the A12 12 and 12, nothing but continuous action, nothing but continuous action upon these as a way of life can bring the much desired result. And what are we talking about here? What is the much-desired result? It says permanent sobriety and a contented, useful life. I don't want to be picking up and putting down and picking up and putting down. Uh, you know, one of, our fa- one of my favorites on the line says it's like holding our breath underwater. You know, for so long I thought I was abstinent, but I was, holding, I was controlling. And sooner or later I'm going to have to come up. You know, I'm going to have to come up. Permanent sobriety through the grace of God. And it is possible. It is possible. There's, there's I, I mean, there's tons of us on this line. I hope you can get some hope. I'm really hoping that you can just get some hope. If you've been around for a long time or if you're new, that you can just hear the hope and, and listen to how we did it. And give us a call. Give us a call. So I get sidetracked here. Let me look at the time. Okay, I'm good. Um, much desired result. And so we're going to, what I'm going to do is go through this. I'm going to give you a couple examples of how this has worked, how I have used this, exactly how the steps can solve my problems today. And that's what I'm going to do. But before I do that, I want to go into the big book. Um, on page uh, – let's see where we are. On page 85. 85. And, of course, this is – I'm going to be reading from the 10th step and the 11th step, and this is all part of where the rest of the remaining steps come in to help us – to have us be recovered. But Bill writes this and the 100 others um, – I'm going to read it. It is easy to let up on the spiritual program of action and rest for our laurels. Okay? And he continuously talks about the spiritual program of action. He doesn't talk about putting down the alcohol. He doesn't talk about staying out of bars. He doesn't talk about you know, not going into state stores or staying away from parties. He continues talking about the spiritual solution, the spiritual action. We are headed for trouble if we do, for alcohol is a settled foe. We're not cured of alcoholism, of food. Compulsive over He says, what we really have is a reprieve contingent on the maintenance, maintenance of our spiritual condition. Every day is a day when we must, must carry the vision of God's will into all, all, all of our activities. How can I best serve thee? Thy will, not mine, be done. And then he says, these are thoughts which must go with us constantly, constantly, morning, moon, and night, to the best of our ability, you know, not just when I'm eating, not just when I have a problem, so on and so forth. He uses the word constantly quite often in here. Then on the bottom of page 85, we shouldn't be shy on this matter of prayer, better than men, than we are using it constantly. And then on the bottom of page 87 we constantly, constantly remind ourselves we are no longer running the show, humbly saying to ourselves many times each day, thy will be done, thy will be done. And then it talks about we are then in much less danger of excitement, fear, anger, worry, self-pity, or foolish decisions. So my first example, I'm going to use preparing for this talk today. Um, And I was always very interested to see in this that, uh, then we will be, uh, we're much less danger of excitement. Excitement is in that list with all those other ugly things, fear, anger, worry, self-pity. I had so much excitement. I started preparing this, I think, four years ago. And I wrote it out and I had it all written out. I've got to be careful of my time here. I have so much I want to tell you. Oh my gosh, okay. So anyway, uh, I, I only have a few minutes. I've got to just tell you that uh, I called some, I, I was reading it to two different people, and both of them said it's, it's not good. It's not good. That's what I heard. I had to look at my character defects. I had I was full of fear. I was absolutely full of fear. I was full of perfectionism. This is putting it through the steps. You know, I was powerless over it. God can restore me to sanity. I made a decision to turn this over to God. Turn it over to God. How am I going to do that? I spoke to two people, kind of like a fourth or fifth step or tenth. I identified my character defects. I asked God to remove them. You know, I prayed, I meditated. Uh, one of the things that I meditated on was yesterday's reading from the daily reflections, and um, I opened up the big the um, the uh, page that it referenced itself to, and it said, um, "The unique ability of each AA to identify himself with and and bring recovery to the newcomer no way depends upon his learning." eloquence, or any special individual skills. That was bingo. You know, I was trying to be eloquent. I was trying to be perfect. I do penny so perfectly. But I just want to get, to, this is the biggest thing, and I really want to share this with you. The major thing that has happened in my life, my major thing, God got me into a third-step meeting. I've been a member of another 12-step program for years, and I've been a member of a Sunday morning third-step meeting. God knew what he was doing. He knew what it, I needed to be prepared for. My husband, who was my soulmate, soulmate, he was the first boy I ever kissed, 12 years old. Uh, I'm going to have to fast forward. Uh, We're in a motorcycle accident. He's killed, killed instantly at the scene. I have no memory of it at all, no memory. I wake up in an ambulance, and, you know, I said to my husband, Years prior to this, you don't have to worry if you die before I die, because I'll just kill myself. I was in recovery. I was a recovered woman. I'll just kill myself. That's not how it went. Through the grace of God and the third step, I was able to get through this with sadness, with pain, but no suffering. No suffering. So let me get to the highlights. I woke up in an ambulance. I knew that he was gone. I felt his spirits gone. I immediately started to pray because I've been practicing, practicing, practicing this for so many years, the 12-step, practice in all our affairs, practice in all our affairs. Uh, I immediately went to prayer. God, help me. God, help me. We were in the Bible Belt. They started to send people into my bedside in the hospital, um, praying with me, praying for me, you know, so on and so forth. There's so much more. It's a two-hour story. I don't have the time to go through it all now. However, I do want to tell you, uh, when I turn my will and my life over to the care of God, I have to say thank you, God. Thank you, no matter what. Show me the blessings. It's also in the AA 12 and 12. It's during our darkest times, darkest times, that we make our greatest strides toward God make our great so I don't have to be fear be fearful of anything absolutely nothing because as bad as it is and it couldn't get any worse than my husband dying in a motorcycle accident something good is going to happen from this look for the blessings and I was pretty beat up I know I got about 1 minute here so I'm going to Try and wrap it up here. I was pretty beat up. I looked for the blessing. He had congestive heart failure. He had hepatitis C. He had depression. He had had femoral bypass surgery. His quality of life was getting worse and worse and worse. We were in uh, emergency rooms every other weekend. Thank you, God. God decided to take him right there, right then. No more suffering, no more emergency rooms. Thank you, God. And I say, thank you, God. Thank you, God. I don't believe the accident was caused by wet roads. I don't think it was caused by um, bad riding or, or rain or anything else. I think the accident was caused because God said, this is your time. Come with me now and um, do while, while you're doing what you love most, you know, with the person you love most. And I have peace with that today, absolute peace for that. So... Um, that's a real short version. Tried to get it out to you. I hope you got the message. I am eternally grateful for this program, for transforming me from a sick, sick person who could not stop to a person who's full of gratitude, full of gratitude, and does not pick up today under any and all circumstances. Uh, the 12-step, you know, we do pray we take a, a daily inventory step 10 we pray and meditate to turn our will and our life over to the care of God and then of course step 12 you know having had a spiritual awakening as a result of these steps we tried to carry this message to compulsive overeaters and to practice these principles in all our affairs so i say thank you i love you all and every time i speak i always end with something that i heard and that is thank you god Thank you for not opening up the gates of heaven and letting me in, but thank you for letting me, for opening up the gates of hell and letting me out. Thank you. Love you all. God bless. Have a great day and a great meeting.
0: Thank you, Penny E. Now I welcome Janice to the line.
2: Good morning. Can you hear me all right, Leah? Indeed. Thank you. Thank you. Good morning, Vision, for you. My name is Janice, and I am a recovered compulsive overeater. Thank you, God. Thank you, God. And thank you, Penny. Thank you, Penny, for being first. Um, I, too, have uh, had a bit of nervousness, but I was taught in the rooms by someone in whom the problem had been solved that God is very reliable. So um, hopefully God will kick in shortly and, and we'll all be fine. You know, I I have had recovery and abstinence since July 1st of 2001 and that is nothing short of a miracle. That is nothing short of a miracle. I have been in the rooms of OA since 1990, so that tells you something. But thank God, thank God for these 12 steps for the spiritual program. So today, I want to say first of all, thank you. Thank you all so much for letting me speak this morning, for giving me this privilege, this honor to speak this morning. And and it was really, really helpful to me to look at step three, to do a, an ever deeper look at step three, because it reminds me of so many things that I don't ever, ever want to forget. You know, I've had I've had an about a hundred pound weight loss and uh, And thank God, thank God, for recovery, for physical recovery, for physical recovery. But that is nothing compared to what happens with a spiritual recovery. When you have that personality change sufficient to bring about recovery, that is indeed the miracle. And today we are talking about step three. Step three made a decision to turn our will and our lives over to the care of God as we understood him. That seems seems pretty daunting, doesn't it? At least it did to me. Make that decision to turn my will and my life over to the care of God. Over to the care of God. It's a huge leap. And it is. It's a big decision. But I didn't start there. I didn't start with that decision. I started at step one. And if you're anything like me, perhaps you started at step one, too. You know, we admitted we were powerless over food, that our lives had become unmanageable. I had to be there first. First, I had to know the problem. And I had to know it was my problem. My problem. You know, I've probably been a compulsive overeater since I was a little kid. You know, when I look back at my history, I can see that food had a special attraction for me. It had a certain draw. It had a certain appeal. I began to repeatedly seek the ease and comfort that I seemed to get by eating certain foods. You know, and and that happened, as I said, from a young age. I can remember sitting on the basement steps and I was probably five years old. Um, we had moved into a new house. My parents were building this little house. And the, the steps going down to the basement, nobody was there. And I remember sitting there with a stick of butter and a loaf of bread and trying not to get caught. You know, that's, that's an early food memory. And, and I was using food like that So that even when I reached junior high and high school, and I now wanted to stop what I was doing with food, I wanted to stop reaching for the food. Now I found I couldn't control it, and I couldn't stop. You know, I I was suffering the consequences now. I was gaining weight, more and more weight, and people were noticing the way I ate. And I started to feel so different. I knew I was different. I felt different. I seemed to think differently than my friends. And I had had lots of skinny friends and two skinny sisters. You know, when we went to the beach, my friends ran around in their bikinis and I kept my towel wrapped around my waist. You know, that was the kind of life that I was living then. And I could see how different I was. You know, this was the era of hot pants for those of you who are old enough to remember. You know, little short shorts began to be this fashion. Well, no way could I do that. You know, I was, I was starting to dress to try to hide my body, to try to disguise the ever-present weight gain, the continuing weight gain. You know, and, and my friends and my sisters, they were cheerleaders and, and they belonged to the dance line and, and they dated boys and they went steady. And I was on the outside, ever different and wanting to be like them. You know, so suffering those consequences of my eating and not being able to control my food intake, you know, so so what was my problem? And I started Knowing so well, I had a problem. But my tools for living, my tools for living had become a fork and a knife and a spoon. You know, that drove me for the, to the food again and again and again. I had this problem. I had this way of eating. And I understood that it was a problem, but I did not yet know that what I had was a twofold illness, that I had this allergy of my body coupled with an obsession in my mind. You know, in the doctor's opinion, you know, it said we who have suffered alcoholic torture must believe, this is on page XXIV. That we who have suffered alcoholic torture must believe that the body of the alcoholic is quite as normal abnormal as his mind you know I didn't yet know that that my body was as abnormal as my mind and I was starting to suffer torture I was starting to suffer that kind of torture okay now I want to stop but I cannot every time I take that first bite I set off this phenomenon of craving this physical reaction in my body that makes me crave more and I cannot control it I cannot make it go away and I hate it I hate it but I don't know yet that I don't have control over it I keep trying to control it I keep trying to control picking up that cellophane bag, that bakery box, that carton, but I cannot stop. Once I start eating those foods, I cannot stop. And that started a life of hiding food, of trying to escape from the food, of trying to control the food, and desperate to enjoy the food. And if you're anything like me, you know, if. If that physiological problem had been my only problem with the food, then all the attempts I started to make would have worked. They would have worked. All the diet groups that I started going to, all the magazines. I loved the before and after in the diet magazines. I can be her, I would say to myself. I can be her. I can control this. I can do what she's doing and get what she's getting. Can't I? Can't I? I couldn't you know and when I went away to college I had more skinny friends but I also had some eating buddies. I met some people who ate like I ate and sometimes I liked them and sometimes I didn't like them sometimes I saw myself in them and I didn't like that but I didn't seem to be able to eliminate those sugary, salty, crunchy, creamy, whatever foods they were. You know, I started exercising in college. I started walking the campus over and over and over again. I started swimming and volleyball and running club. And sometimes, it seemed, I would get a handle on this and, and I would lose weight. I also started experimenting with a little drug use, a little amphetamine a little pot, a little something to help me control the food. But I couldn't. But I couldn't. And if you are like me, then you know this story. You know this story. I had this obsession in my mind. This greater aspect of this illness that I had that ensured, that guaranteed that I would pick up again and again and again. And again, in the doctor's Opinion, you know, it says men and women drink essentially because they like the effect produced by alcohol. The sensation is so elusive that while they admit it is injurious, they cannot after a time differentiate the true from the false. I couldn't differentiate the true from the false. I knew there was a connection with what I was doing, but I couldn't stop myself. And I lived there for years. I lived in that torture, in that prison, in that place for years. Those chains of my compulsive eating that started off so soft, sometimes even comforting, so soft I hardly felt them. They had hardened and now I couldn't break them. And I tried. I tried. Every method I could try. I tried everything I could think of more diet groups, now counseling, now hypnosis, now diet doctors, now gyms for exercise. We could increase the list ad infinitum, the big book says. But finally, finally, I read in Ann Landers this thing about Overeaters Anonymous. This was back in 1989. And I went to my first OA meeting. I figured out where there was an OA meeting. But you know what? I went late and I left early. And I didn't get what they were talking about. But then again in 1990, I went back to OA. And I knew, I knew from what they were saying, there were other people there like me. Like me. And I stayed there. But now I had a belly full of food and a head full of OA. And nothing worked for me. Nothing worked for me. I didn't seem to be able to break through. And I knew, I knew in those meetings, there were people quietly abstinent. There were people quietly doing something that I wanted, but I couldn't quite figure out what it was. And even when I heard bits and pieces and parts of what they were doing, I couldn't seem to grab hold. I couldn't get any traction. I couldn't get any momentum. But finally, thank you, God, finally, someone in whom the problem had been solved approached me, introduced me to this big book, to this big book. Thank you, God, cracked open this big book and made it come alive for me. And she was loud. She was loud. She was clear. Her eyes were shining. She told me exactly what she was doing, how she got what she got. And I wanted it. I wanted it. And she said, as it says on page 30 in the big book, let me find it here if you'll give me a chance. Thank you very much. She said on page 30 we had to fully concede. To our innermost selves, that we were alcoholics, that the delusion that we were like other people, or presently maybe, had to be smashed, that we were alcoholics, men and women who had lost the ability to control our drinking. And I heard it, I heard it, that we were convinced to a man that alcoholics of our type are in the grip of a progressive illness, and over any considerable period, we get worse, never better. I said, yes, that's me. I identified in. I identified in. I learned about the problem. I learned about step one, and I learned that it was me. I learned. I identified in. As a result, you know, my mind was cracked open. The big book was cracked open, and my mind was cracked open. And I learned about the solution. I learned about the problem, I identified myself, and I learned about the solution. And you know, it says on Chapter 4 in Reagnostics, if when you honestly want to, you find you cannot quit entirely, or if when drinking you have little control over the amount you take, you are probably alcoholic. If that be the case, you may be suffering from an illness which only a spiritual experience will conquer. Well, that spiritual experience had to begin for me with step two. With step two. The truth began to unfold. The truth that I was powerless, helpless, hopeless, my life was unmanageable, that I knew, that I could see. But that if I was going to be free from this problem, I needed a power greater than me. And I began to believe that if this person in whom the problem had been solved Came to believe that I could come to believe. That I could come to believe that I could be restored to sanity. And believing was a choice. Believing was a choice. And I could believe that those people standing before me, their eyes shining, laughing, and those in whom the problem had been solved, seeing they were abstinent, that food did not control them, that their life had taken on the meeting, I could believe, I could see and I wanted it, and I wanted it enough. And I started to believe that if I did what they did, I could get what they got. So I started to believe that there was a power greater than me. And then we came to step three. That brought me to step three. Those first two steps had been very reflective, full searching, but very reflective. They had been conclusions that I had drawn. Conclusions in my mind. But then they said, if you are who you say you are and you're a compulsive overeater of our type in the grips of a progressive illness, if you see that, so now what? So now what? Now we're at step three. Made a decision to turn our will and our lives over to the care of God as we understood him. Was I going to make that decision to change? Because they said, these steps were going to bring about a personality change. I couldn't make myself better. I had tried to make myself better, whole again, well, and it didn't work. And I had been sitting in the rooms of OA, trying what I thought was a program of action. Wasn't that Well, it wasn't. It wasn't a program of action. Remember, it said, leaving aside... Drink question, we had been making a heavy going of life. Well, I was still making a heavy going of life. Remember, my tools for living had been a knife and a fork and a spoon? You know, and that, that had warped my thinking. That had twisted my thinking. And my thinking and my actions had produced this personality in me. And I needed to straighten out mentally and physically. I needed new tools. I needed new thinking, new direction that would produce new action. And how was I going to get that? If my will was my thinking and my life was my action and all actions you taught me were born in thought, then I was going to need to make that decision to change. We make decisions all the time. You know, we make decisions, buy a house, big big decisions, trade in the car, get married, move across the country or across town, and we make small decisions all the time. To turn on the TV, to sit down at the computer, to make that phone call. You know, all of those decisions we make. So this was a decision this was this was a decision that was gonna have a huge impact on me. You know, and this decision came out of my willingness to change. I couldn't stand to live the way I was living. One more second, one more minute. And it says step three must be followed by more action, immediate action. That would bring me to step four. But without making that decision to follow, follow those in whom the problem had been solved, follow their suggestions, Follow the 12 steps. Nothing was going to happen. Nothing. So today, what do I do about this step three? Well, I continue. I pray daily. I sign me up. Every morning when I open my eyes, I say, God, sign me up. I'm going to do this one more day. I'm going to make a decision today to do what I did yesterday and get what I got yesterday. Another day of abstinence. Another day of recovery. Another day of being ever closer to you. To you. And thank you so much, Penny, for sharing the things that have happened to you in your life. Because in my recovery, in my recovery, I lost my beloved father. I lost my mother from Alzheimer's. And then a little over a year ago, my beloved husband died of cancer. and. And those, and I'm only saying those things to show you and help you to see if my experience means anything. We do this thing every day, one day at a time, one step at a time, one decision at a time. Every day, steps one, two, three, steps one, two, three. I am who I say I am. I am a compulsive overreader. Thank you, God. Today, sign me up. I'm going to work these steps as if my life depends on it because it brings me ever closer to you. And making that decision to turn my will and my life over to the God of my understanding today is the most important thing I do because it gives me the strength and the power that's going to flow in me that keeps me making that decision to stay abstinent today, making that decision to make those phone calls, making that decision to get on vision for you, Making that decision to show up at my meetings, to do service, to call that newcomer, to sponsor people. That daily decision, that daily decision to turn my life and my will over. Thank you, God. Thank you, God. And what does it give me? It gives me happiness. It gives me contentment. It gives me acceptance. It gives me a youthful life. Thank you, God. I hope it makes me helpful and useful to other people. That's my great desire because it keeps me with you. And I don't feel alone. I don't feel different and on the outside. I didn't know how much that tortured me until I didn't have to feel that way anymore. And thank you so much for letting me talk with you today, all of you, all of you. It's a great blessing to me.
0: And with that, I'll pass. Thank you very much, Janice. Now I will welcome Penny C. to the line, please.
3: Hi. Good morning, everybody. It's Penny C. I'm a recovered compulsive overeater from Massachusetts near Boston. Um, And, uh, oh, gosh, I need to tell you how excited I am about being able to talk this morning. You know, when I was first asked to speak, I was so surprised at the immediate reaction I had. Right away, I hardly thought. I said, yes, um, just let me check my calendar. And then it went right into, thank you, God, I can talk about you to other people. That's not. That's unnatural for me to have, have had reacted that way, and I thank God for, for doing that. One of the things, a thought that came to me as I was thinking about uh, being asked was, Wouldn't it be awful if I declined to talk about my higher power, my creator, to other people? I refused to tell other people about what you've done for me, God. That would be insulting, insulting to my creator, and uh, I didn't want that. You know, the big book tells me that God is the director and I'm his agent, and that's an awesome realization. So I speak as the agent of God. Imagine that. And in prayer, I ask God. Um, I tell God that I just all I need to do is trust You. My wonderful sponsor told me the only requirements for speaking or qualifying were that I be humble and honest. That was years ago, and since then I've added two more H's. Uh, one of the things I I ask that I can do is impart hope every time I speak. And also, I know that without God. I am nothing. So the other H is I always bring my higher power with me. Just a little bit about my my life and my disease. I was fat all my life. Pictures of me from the time I was an infant were always, always of a fat child. And in those days, I'm 73 years old, it was thought that this was wonderful. You meant you were doing well if you had chubby children. But my other three sisters were all thin, and everybody, all my, all our friends were thin, and uh, I just stood out like a sore thumb. Didn't do the things that most kids get to do. Um, didn't get to go to the high school dances or any of that. So, I, I, but I did lose weight several times. At one time, it became anorexic, and I lost so much point that so much weight then that a doctor actually told me I needed to gain 10 pounds. I could have hugged her. I never, never was told that before in my life. Uh, at one point, I, I actually um, maintained for a little while. That was when I was a lecturer for a national, international weight loss program. But the, the bottom line was I never stayed stopped. And my disease showed itself. Not only in the extra weight I carried, but I constantly had that feeling of a hole in my gut that I tried to fill with everything I could get, whether from the refrigerator, from the cabinets, from the you know, the corner store, and never, never did the gut feeling go away. That hole remained. And later I found that what I was trying to fill with food was a spiritual hole Um, And so, thank God, when I got to OA, and that was on June 10th, 1987, that's the day that I can count as my first day of abstinence as well. I had paid my dues in all these other programs, and God was kind enough to let me see for my first meeting when someone said, this disease of mine, and the word disease just hit me, like like no other word ever did. I never knew, never even gave it a thought that I might have a disease. I just thought I was, you know, lacking willpower, like a lot of us were told. And so since then, I've been maintaining, with God's help, a 70-pound weight loss. I want to just tell you a little bit about my religious background. Grew up in a very, very strict Christian home. I knew every rule there was to know about the religion that I was born into, and I I, I practiced those like like you wouldn't believe, you know. And and I even judged people who didn't do what I knew was the right thing to do, or I thought I did. So. When I came to, 13 years I had of a nun school and then another three years of Jesuit college having to study theology there. So when I came to OA and heard about the steps, I knew the first three steps were going to be, and I make a pun, I guess, a piece of cake for me. Nobody nobody had to teach me anymore about the first three steps. And and then, you know, I realized, boy, I was really being... being um, obnoxious about it, and, and I, I finally gave in and was ready for the experience that I've had. Um, the first thing that I had to realize is that spirituality was different from religious. You know, yeah, I had this God. It wasn't a personal God. The God I knew, the concept I have, I've had of God then, was someone who just set all the rules and made sure that I followed them. And and I did that. But the idea of talking to my God, of giving over my life and my will to Him, was so foreign, even after all those religious uh, years uh, in religious school. So thank God I've got a new conception of my higher power today. So I did many, many AWOLs. And for those who don't know, it's called a way of life. And it was groups that studied the 12 steps and I did that religiously and and I I even ran or uh, facilitated group step studies most of the time just getting through it in in 6 months and 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 just um not really not really getting deeply into these steps until in the year 2000 I was told by who, the woman who then became my step sponsor about doing the steps the big book way, the big book process, and uh, the first thing she did was say we we really need to spend a lot of time on the first three steps, and she spent hours and hours with me in person, gave of all her time, which uh, it's incredible how much time she gave to me to to take me through those steps. I learned that these are critical proposals, these first three steps. Only to the extent I sincerely and purposely take these steps am I able to continue on through the rest of my recovery. My big book sponsor taught me to say the set-aside prayer before I embarked on any step work, and I still do that today. You know, it can make up your own words, but for me it's, God, please let me set aside anything I think I know about myself, the steps, the big book, and especially you, God, so that I have may, may have an open mind and a new experience. So I'll have an open mind, and I needed to be willing. And with just those two, two virtues, I, I was able to continue on with her help. She had me take step three as if a solemn oath. I get on my knees. We lit a candle, and in the presence of God and in in her, I said, "God, I offer myself to Thee to do with me as Thou will. Relieve me the bondage of self that I may better do Thy will. May I do Thy will always." What a big order! It's it's the big book teaches me to say that, and I at first I was saying it and not really meditating on it as much as I do today. But when I just sit quietly and I think about offering myself up, putting my life in my hands, in the palm of my hand and giving it to God, I, I actually get sometimes an awe and even, even tears sometimes come to me. So I also got taught the uh, meaning of Step 3, and so this is what Step 3 means to me today. I'm going to quote from the big book. It says the first requirement is that we be convinced that any life run on self-will can hardly be a success. It describes us as actors who want to run the whole show, arranging everything to suit ourselves. If everything and everybody would only do as we wanted, everybody, including ourselves, would be pleased. I, w- I would, I would, everything would be wonderful. I saw myself in these pages so vividly, and as it says, when the show didn't come off right. I became indignant, blamed others, and I became a victim of the faults of everyone else. I was selfish and self-centered and not pleasant to be with. The bottom line was that I had to stop playing God. You know, I remember um, being, oh, I had to be the campfire leader, then the Girl Scout leader, then, you know, any group there was, that, that especially that my children were in. I took the leading role because, you know, I knew how to do it best, or so I thought, and I can remember one time when I, I I assigned all the roles in this, what we called a fly-up, and many people in the town came, and I was it was going to be the best fly-up that my town had ever seen. And one of the participants, one of the moms who I gave a role to, simply said to me, boy, Penny, you come off strong. That was her way of saying, boy, are you a controller, and I didn't know it then. In the Step 3 chapter of the AA 12 and 12, it says, It is when we try to make our will conform with God's that we begin to use it rightly. To all, of this, this, to all of us, this was a most wonderful revelation. Our whole trouble had been the misuse of our self-will. We had tried to bombard our problems with it instead of attempting to bring it into agreement with God's intention for us. And that's that's what it's all about for me today. God, let my will conform to yours. Let me know what your will is, and then let me have the courage and, and fortitude to be able to follow it. To make this increasingly possible, it says, is the purpose of AA's 12 steps, and step three opens the door. Once we've come into agreement with the ideas, it's really easy to begin the pr- practice of step three. In all times of emotional disturbance or indecision, we can pause, ask for quiet, and in the stillness simply say, God, grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change, courage to change the things I can, and wisdom to know the difference. Thy will, not mine, be done. Again, in the big book, on page 85, and I'm repeating what a previous speaker said, but I think it's it's well worth the repeat. Repetition. How can I best serve thee? Thy will, not mine, be done. We can exercise our willpower. It says, along this line, all we wish, it is the proper use of the will. So placing my life in the care of God of my understanding is like throwing myself into the arms of a great lover, capital G, capital L. I'm like a little child trusting and depending on my father to care for me and love me unconditionally. I think about the love and caring of my own earthly dad and how I never doubted he was always had my best interest at heart. There was nothing I could do that would stop him for love, from loving me. I was convinced of that. My dad went to God many years ago, but at any moment I can allow myself, especially in meditation, I can just allow myself to sit, and I can picture myself as a little child sitting on my dad's lap and, and and having him just hug me and the warmth and security I felt then. And today I can feel my Heavenly Father, God's arms around me. And I get the same wonderful feeling. And when I pray, by the way, just to insert this, when I pray for other people, I don't pray that they are given whatever I want them to have, because only God knows what they need. So I pray that they... The other person just feel God's arms around them and the comfort and security that I felt in my own daddy's arms, so um it tells me that you know I pause when when undecided, and I need to make make some kind of a decision, and that pause in as a Buddhist writer calls it, uh, in a book I like, it says that sacred pause is when I am discouraged or frightened or uncertain of what my next step is to be, is a time when I can become consciously aware of God, talk to God, and offer Him all that I am and wish to be. So I'm going to just say this little prayer that my aunt taught me many, many years ago. She went, she went to heaven to be with, with God several years ago in her 90s. And I just, I just love this aunt to pieces. She taught me to say every morning as soon as I get on my knees, God, this day is for you. I ask that you bless all I think, say, and do. Every time I repeat silently or aloud, thy will be done. I affirm my commitment to let God be the director. And as his agent, I reach out to others who still suffer with this disease of compulsive overeating. okay uh, I guess I just want to end now with just telling about where I am today um you know this this these steps this program of compulsive overeating, eating um uh, recovery from compulsive overeating has brought me through like others can say many many difficult situations um the first thing i did 15 years ago when i was told i had breast cancer was to call my sponsor who prayed with me and and you know i don't know what i would have done without this program and the wonderful people in it you know when when um just recently i had a daughter who came over to tell me that she was having a very difficult time in her marriage and had decided that a divorce was necessary. Uh, I called someone in someone in a vision for you, and that woman was kind enough to listen to me, and not only that, but call me every single day for 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 weeks, just to tell me that God loves me, and so did she. So I just want to thank everybody who's also been a part of my life, who's been a part of my program. As as the song says, you've all become a fabric of my life, and I appreciate so much. And I ask God, you know, that I can carry this message forward to everyone I meet, to everybody who suffers, especially with this disease of compulsive overeating. Thank you, and God bless. Bye-bye.
0: Thank you, Penny C., and thank you to all the readers, I mean, Excuse me, all the speakers this morning, Penny E and Janice and Penny C, on your experience, strength, and hope related to step three. We now will open the line to give everyone an opportunity to direct any questions they might have to our speakers this morning. You can do so by pressing star one to unmute if you'd like to ask
4: a question. This is Robin.
0: Robin, good morning.
2: Hi. Um, Can I have phone numbers, please? Um, Especially Penny E., but if if I could get phone numbers from all three of you, I'd sure appreciate it. And are you all open for phone calls? Thanks.
0: Thank you, Robin. Penny E., are you available to offer your phone number this morning?
1: Yes, Robin. My phone number is Eastern Standard Time, 856. eight six nine zero six
0: two one. Thank you, Penny E. And Janice, same question. Thank you, Leah. Yes, um this is Janice. I am in Minneapolis, so
2: I am in Central Time and my phone number is six one two eight two seven six nine eight nine.
0: Thank you, Janice. And Penny C., please.
3: Yes, I'm in Massachusetts. That's Eastern Standard Time. And my number is 781-447-1468.
0: Thank you. Thank you. Mm -hmm. Any questions this morning related to Step 3? Anything that was shared this morning? Star 1 to unmute.
5: Hi, this is Lori in Atlanta, compulsive overeater.
0: Good morning. Go right ahead.
5: Good morning. Um, I really enjoyed all of the shares this morning. Um, I feel like I've tapped into a gold mine on this meeting um, with all the experience, strength, and hope. Um, all the knowledge of the Big Book and working this program, and um, I am returning to program. I, I originally began OA and. March of 2001 or 2002, maybe. And I've been in and out of the program. Um, and this time that I've returned has been different. Um, I've, I have a wonderful sponsor, and I've gotten um, – she has really worked me on the abstinence part, uh, and we're still in the first three steps. Um, and I heard – I believe it was Janice saying that um, she had to learn to work these steps in and, and all of um, – her life and to apply them in every situation. And I'm really grateful for hearing that this morning. And I I just kind of wanted to know, um, when you were, how did you do that? How did it look? Um, when you were presented with an issue, uh, you know, with a, a, a spouse or a sibling or a neighbor or something and, and a problem came up, did you like immediately stop and go through and say, okay, I am powerless over this situation, powerless over this person. My own life is unmanageable. Um, I know that there is a God and he can help me. Through, you know, how did you process through each problem? How exactly did you work the steps, the first three steps, um, in your life and in interacting with people who um, were just, you know, part of your life that may not have been in program or recovery, um, but that were there? How did you apply these steps? Um, did you step back? Were you able to program yourself to to say, okay, You know, take a breath, let me step back, and let me look at the situation differently. So if you could give me, or any of the uh, the panelists this morning that could answer that, I would appreciate it. Thanks.
0: Thank you for the question. Janice, we'll start with you. This is Janice.
2: What was your name again? I'm sorry, I, I missed your name.
5: This is Lori in Atlanta.
2: Laurie, Laurie. Thank you, Laurie. Um, thank you, Lori. What a good question. Um, let's see, what can I tell you? You know, everything in for me in this program has been a process. You know, it's a process of spiritual growth. And, and I certainly did not come in knowing exactly what to do in every situation, even in the earliest of days of, of working the steps. So, um, but you hit on something already. I, I can already tell that your you you know you your instincts are are good in that regard. In that you know taking a deep breath. I cannot tell you and how many times and in what way that alone has been a starting point for me. Take a deep breath. You know today I say God is in every breath. God is in every breath and. You know, when I am uncertain, when I am fearful, when I am in sorrow, you know, when when whatever, when I'm anxious, when I'm presented with someone whose personality, you know, I find difficult, My, my automatic reaction is becoming deeper and deeper. First, take a deep breath. Because what I found is that oftentimes I'm breathing shallowly or I'm... I'm holding my breath or, you know, that that, that used to be an oh-so-human response. So now I take a deep breath and that reminds me that God is in every breath. And then it seems like whatever happens as a result of that connection, that pause, you know, it redirects me. It redirects me to a place that that's growing in me spiritually, you know, that's growing in me spiritually. And, and like others um, shared on the line, thank you um, both, Penny E. and Penny C., the people in this program have become my lifeline, have become my lifeline. And, and when I am in a place where I'm uncertain, you know, the automatic response in me now is making a phone call. You know, I was taught early on to make phone calls, to make phone calls. And, and we called it the fire drill. You know, we made phone calls and we make phone calls and I still do that today faithfully because when the fire comes, it's an, it's another automatic response to pick up the phone. You know, if I'm uncertain how to respond or I'm in a place, you know, if my husband, you know, we also were in and out of emergency rooms and the hospital and treatments and no matter what was going on, I mean, my, my fellowship began to hold me up when I couldn't hold myself up. And, and even when I'm today uncertain or I have something that's, that's um, gnawing at me that I just can't seem to get a handle on, I know without a doubt that I have my trusted people. My sponsor said, build yourself a network of people that know you inside and out, inside and out, so that when I call those people, they, we cut to the chase. You know, I don't have a lot of explaining to do to them. I don't have to tell them, you know, what's going on. They know me and they know where I'm at. And, and they know my personality. And I've given them permission. If something's bothering me and they see something is out of whack with me, they have permission to ask me, to get to the bottom with me, to help me. And, and they are God working through me, with me, in me to help me share their experience with me. And um, I don't know if that's helpful at all, but, you know, that that continues. They're working the steps too. You know, I trust their recovery, and so I trust them to help me with my recovery. You know, that God will give me the power, the grace, the strength, but he also gives me the power
0: to pick up the phone (laughs) and talk with other people. And with that, I'll pass. Thank you, Janice. Any of the other speakers like to respond to the question? Either Penny E or Penny C?
1: Yes, um, Leia, this is Penny. It's a great question, Laura. Mm -hmm. Thank you. there's so much, there's so much, and through the years I think that we perfect this, you know, with with anything else. But um, the first thing, I mean, these are all sayings that come to me through the years that I've heard through the meeting, and that is, do I want to be right or do I want to be at peace? You know, if somebody hurt me, if I tell you what they did, you'd say, ooh, you know, ugh. But is that enhancing my spirituality? I'm about spiritual solutions today. You know, so I don't want to get into what they did. What you know, justified anger. The twelve and twelve, uh, AA twelve and twelve tells us is better left to people who can handle it better than we. I can't afford to be angry, justifiably angry. So, no, I, I want to be at peace. So, what do I do today? Um, you know, the first step. I am powerless over other people. God grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change. The courage to change the people, (laughs) the people, courage to change the things I can, and the wisdom to know the difference. Of course, I can't change anybody else. I can only change me. So show me, God, what I need to do here. Show me what I need to do. And the instructions are in the big book and the the A twelve and twelve. Because I'm abstinent today, because I am recovered today. When I have a reaction that is not of God, I feel it. It's like having a bug. You know, having a bug fly around my head so I can call somebody, a sponsor, uh, you know, through prayer. What am I going to do about this, God? I know that God can restore me to sanity. Sanity today is about loving the other person, knowing that they're sick. The big book tells us, you know, when they offend, they're sick people. Would I treat a sick person like that? You know, in the rooms, people come in, they can be all offensive, and we just love them to death. Love them till they can't, you know, till they love themselves. And then I make a decision to turn, turn that person and this whole situation over to God. The fourth step or whichever you want to do, the tenth step, I talk to somebody about it and I identify where I went wrong. The tenth step says in the A 12 and 12 that it's a spiritual axiom. Every time, every time that somebody else makes me upset, I have to take a look at myself. There's no exception to that. No exception, because we're living according to spiritual principles. No matter how justified we are, so if I'm taking a a look at myself, I say, well, what is it that's making me so angry about this person? You know, I feel like they hurt me. Well, I had expectations, my character defects. I'm identifying my character defects as as a result of you know doing the four step or. When I say a four-step, you know, just to get, to, get invo- to get into what's going on for me or the 10th step. You know, I had expectations of how they should react. I have fear that they're not going to be my friend. You know, I had perfectionism. Nobody, would, nobody should talk like that. I wouldn't talk like that. Judgmentalness. These character defects are what's causing my problem, not the situation, not what the person said to me. This is how I've learned to do it within the realm of the 12 steps. So, the problem is not the other person, and the solution is not with the other person. If they would only treat me better, I would be happy. You know, I could be at peace. No, the solution for me is knowing that I have what I need today with my higher power, with prayer. You know, there's a resentment prayer in the uh, AA 12 and 12, in the uh, big book. You know, we pray for those people, pray for everything we want for ourselves. Um, you know, for 21 days it suggests. There's also something else that I, I wanted to talk about, and and uh, you know, the the Oxford Group, which was kind of the beginning of AA. I'm not sure of all the history, but um, in that, the Oxford Group came from a book called Sermon on the Mount, and uh, by an author called Emmett Fox. And Emmett Fox wrote something called the Golden Key, and what the Golden Key says is that we cannot. It's a spiritual. It's a spiritual. You know, thought. We can't have two thoughts in our head at one time. You know, we just can't have two thoughts in our head at one time. So if I keep obsessing about what this person did, you know, stay in the solution, not the problem, Penny. If I keep wanting to go over and process it, that's from the big book, too. Keep looking at the solution, not the problem, Um it's going to get bigger. If I stay in the solution, it's going to get bigger. But uh, this golden key from Sermon on the Mount says that we can't have two thoughts in our head at one time. We just can't. So, it's, through practice, 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 I'll say gratitude instead of what this person did. What did the person do? She said this, she didn't do that, blah, blah, blah. You know, thank you, God, that this person is in my life. Thank you, God. Show me the lessons. Show me the blessings. You know, this is an opportunity. We used to say another fine growth opportunity. The more that they annoy us, the more we can say thank you, God, because this is something God wants to teach me. You know, thank you, God. Thank you, God. Um, There's just so much, and it really does have to do with practice. But my suggestion is, if you're really new and this is new to you, call somebody, you know, call somebody. It's so much easier for us to, to, to see how somebody else should do this than for us to do it for ourselves. So thank you. I'll pass.
0: Thank you, Penny E. Penny C. Did you want to respond to this question? No pressure, of course.
3: Yeah. um, All that's been said by Janice and and Penny E. just now um, applies. I, 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 Ditto, ditto, and thank you for for um, reminding me of all of that to to them. Uh, the words, just to add a little bit, the words that come to me when somebody else's behavior is is disturbing me. First is compassion. You know, I don't know where that person's come from. I don't know what happened to them two minutes before I encountered that person. The the I just never know. And so I, I need to give everybody the benefit of the doubt. And then secondly, as soon as I heard Laurie's question, the, the word acceptance came to mind. And, you know, when I first came around, it was page 449 in the old old edition. And what is it, 419 now? I believe it's 419. But accept is, so I memorized it. I knew I needed, I knew I needed to remember that. And it's, it's like, it just comes to me now. Acceptance is the answer to all my problems. When I'm disturbed, it's because some person, place, situation or thing is unsatisfactory to me. And I can find no serenity until I accept that person, place, thing, or situation as being exactly the way it is right now, and then the words "nothing, absolutely nothing happens in God's world by mistake, so there's a lesson I need to learn, or there's 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 um some opportunity for me to to reach out to another human being and and increase my own spirituality when somebody's behavior disturbs me. Not always easy, <laughs> simple, not easy. Thank you.
5: Thank
0: you, Penny C. And that's page four seventeen in the fourth edition. Thank you, Penny C. Any other questions this morning related to step three or anything that was shared this morning by our speakers? Good morning, um Leah. This is Anne Marie. Good morning. Hi. Um, I wanted to uh, thank everyone, um, all three panelists, for um, speaking and just reminding me of uh, this is not, you just don't get, you don't get abstinent and then go on with your merry way. It's a, you know, constant, um, constantly praying and constantly living the program of, um, of the 12 steps. Um, I did have, I want to ask uh, Penny C, I really loved that little prayer that you had that your grandmother had given you. It was just a quick little uh, prayer, and if you could just repeat that again, I'd appreciate it. Thank you.
3: Oh, yes, I'd be happy. Am I still unmuted?
0: We can hear you, Penny.
3: All right, I'm here. Can you hear me? Yes. Okay. Um, Actually, it was my aunt who was like a second mom to me. And um, the prayer goes very simply like this. Good morning, God. This day is for you. I ask that you bless all I think, say, and do. Thank you. Thank you for asking. Uh, You know, it it was... um, after years of saying it and when she was in the nursing home, um, I was able to um make um uh, I'm on the computer I was able to make uh, you know a um a graphic and and put that prayer in and framed it for her and um it was it was sitting by her casket when she was um when she had died um at the wake
0: Thank you, Penny. Any other questions this morning? Press star one to unmute. Uh, Hi, Leah. It's Judy. Are you able to hear me? Yes, we are. I I wanted to ask
6: anybody uh, among the wonderful three panelists, um, what
1: tools they use to discern what they can change and to accept the things they can't change. Do they have a formula or specific tools
0: to discern how to put the serenity prayer into action. Thank you. Thank you, Judy, for the question. Any of our panelists uh, like to take a, sh- a shot at that?
2: This is Janice.
0: Go right ahead, Janice.
2: Good morning, Judy. Good morning. Um, you know, it it says that... Uh, you know, one of one of the tools that we use is literature and writing. You know, it helps us better discern any necessary action. And, and, you know, so I find that a very helpful tool as well. You know, sometimes just putting it down on paper, you know, looking at the situation. It looks different sometimes when I put it down on paper than when it's just up in my head. You know, and, and I just love, love, love what, what the other pennies, you know, shared about having compassion for other people and, and not expectation and, and not perfectionism, you know, expecting people to be other than what they are. And, you know, I, I have a little saying that I like to use, awareness, acceptance, action. You know, I always used to think that as soon as I became aware of something, I had to jump right into the action. And now today I know that I skipped the most important part, which was that middle part of acceptance. And now today I know when I'm aware of something, you know, God's giving me a little nudge, you know, something that I need to look at, whether it's an interaction with somebody or a decision I have to make or or whatever it is, you know, that sometimes when I write it all out and I look at it, I come to that place of acceptance. You know, I say, okay, God, you've got me right where you want me to be doing just what you want me to be doing. And then whatever action I take seems to come from a whole different kind of place with a whole lot more peacefulness around it. You know, the, the anxiety stuff all kind of fades away. And and um, so that's one of the things I do. I, I hope that might be helpful. With that, I'll pass.
0: Thank, Thank, you. You, Ju- Thank you, Judy, for the question and Janice for the response.
3: It's Penny C here now, um, Leia.
0: Yes, go right ahead.
3: Um, yeah, boy, I, I'm I'm learning so much from from the questions even, um, and and what I what I heard, probably the first meeting I ever attended was the only thing I can change is myself and my attitude, so I start there. I start there, and you know I I I try to. Discern whether the thing that I am attempting to change has anything to do with with my my character defects or or my personality or something I did or said, and yes, I think writing is invaluable invaluable when the pen starts going, and I don't pay any attention. You know, I'm a stickler for grammar, but not when I start writing. Um, you know, I'm crossing L's and dotting T's. It doesn't matter. It's just getting it out there on paper and being able then to to um to think about it and to, you know, um talk to God about it. And when people whenever anybody calls me to ask me what should I do about this problem or that an immediate response is what my sponsor always said says to me, did you talk to God about it first? You know, just, just you know, and that to me means prayer and meditation, even if it's even if all, all all I have is 60 seconds, 1 minute, that I can just put it in God's hands and say, God, what is it I can do about this situation? Does it have it is it about me? If it's about me, I can change it. You know, um I think we've all had people in our lives that, you know, were just were we're difficult people. And as I work the program and as others have told me they have, that the people become so much more easy to get along with. And nothing happened. They didn't change. You know, um, I know we've, we've heard this too. Who changed, you know, me and my attitude? So I hope that's helpful.
0: Thank you to the three panelists, and Judy for the question. Thank you. Just I have you. a... Uh, yes, yes, go ahead.
1: Penny, I have a, a, an answer to that, too, um, and I would say 99 times out of 100, we can't change anything. You know, the only thing that we can change is our own... Attitude, and I think, like Penny C. just said, through prayer, through meditation, um, you know, when in doubt, don't do anything until we're clear. And through prayer and meditation, I think we will intuitively know uh, what, what to do. But the, there's another thing, too. I, I have a list of um, how to listen to God that also came from the Oxford group. And one of the things they say in there, it's a number seven, is when in doubt, And when it is important, what does another person who is living a two-way prayer think about this thought or action? More light comes in through two windows than one. Someone else who also wants God's plan for our lives and may help us to see more clearly. So my mother always used to say, there's safety in numbers. You know, when in doubt, I I call somebody, you know, who's working this type of program and asks for uh, some suggestions. So I'll pass.
0: Thank you, Penny E., for coming in there. Much appreciated. Just a reminder, if everybody could remain muted, please, unless you're posing a question. Thank you.
6: Um,
0: Any other questions this morning on the line? Um, You can star one to unmute and direct your question to any of the panelists. This is
7: Maggie in California.
0: Um, Yes, Maggie, go right ahead.
7: Good morning. Thank you. Um, just one question is popping into my head, and I really don't want to let it pass, and I don't know how appropriate it is. But, um, how When I see that phone list, it's huge, and I live in California, and most of them are Easter Standard Time. I don't know. I'm... I'm older, you know i'm sixty seven and I have a lot of history to begin to get everybody to know my life and me is just really overwhelming. I guess I'm really overwhelmed but but it is wonderful, everything I've heard, but how I guess the first thing I would do is pray and ask God who to call, um, but a lot of times uh it's procrastination, paralyzation, and I don't call so any ideas about how to decide who to call, when to call, or anything on that. Thank you so much. And I pass to any any of the panelists.
0: Thank you, Maggie.
7: It's Penny
3: C. I'll take that.
0: Go right ahead, Penny C.
3: I think the first thing is, as you hear people share on, on the line, that if there's somebody in particular that you identify with that's that 's a good place to start. The other thing is that you know that as as um, Penny E said, you know we call somebody that we know is working the program and that can give us the um, suggestions not not the directions but the suggestions of how he or she was able to um, you know, get, be be in contact and let other people know who they were. I think almost anybody on the list would be a good person to call from the standpoint that sometimes I do that and I just put my finger and just just call, uh, making sure that I'm not calling, you know, Israel in the middle of the night, for instance. But sometimes it's a person who says, you know, I'm, I I'm really don't have much experience and then my program is enhanced by being able to give that over to somebody else. Whatever little bit of of experience I've had sometimes is, is what the other person needs. Or, or I'll find somebody who can give me the benefit of years and years of experience. So um, I would just say that, you know, Big book says, "Relax and take it easy don't struggle <laughs> just just find someone that you hear on on the line, or just go and go to the list and 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 um you know trust that it's going to be the right person, and if not, call someone else.
7: okay. I hope that helps.
0: Thank you, Penny. See
7: thank you so much. That does help.
0: Thank you. Any other questions this morning before we close up shop? You can press star one to unmute. We're on the topic of step three.
3: Leah, before we close, may I just uh, say something?
0: Yes. Please go ahead.
3: It's Penny C and I want to I, I know you've been told this many times but uh, I just want to repeat I am so grateful for your service and those of in the service of all of the people who put the vision for you meeting together. Um I I I can say with every bit of sincerity that my relationship with my higher power has increased tremendously since July when I first started listening to this this, this line. So thank you.
0: Thank you for being amongst all of us. Can you see? Anyone else? Questions related to Step 3?
6: yeah hi, this is He. I have a question.
0: Go right ahead
6: yeah, hi, okay. so my question is um we've been, you know I've heard a lot of, um, on the on the line this morning about acceptance <clears throat> about looking at our part, you know our side of things um <clears throat> you know all of which i you know I know there's always what to look at um so would there be you know what would be I'm trying to think of how to phrase this question but um are there times where the the crux of the problem may not be us, but what we want to look at is the responses we have to the problem, um, how we're going to deal with the problem, how much involvement we're going to, you know, where we're going to bring God in. Um, you know, the, the acceptance prayer seems to indicate that the problem is always with me, but is, is that true? Um, that the, that the crux of the problems with me or can it be, you know, that I need to look at how I'm responding to the problem?
0: Thank you. I'd be happy
6: to take that
1: question.
0: Penny Eagle go Penny. right ahead.
1: Um, for me, <laughs> I don't think there's any exception. I think if I want to uh, dissect it and try to figure it out and, you know, uh, process it and so on and so forth. Uh, it keeps me very sick. It keeps me very much in the in the problem. But I'm going to read this from step ten, the um, AA 12 and 12, and what it says is, it's the second full paragraph. It is a spiritual axiom that every time, every every. <laughs> You know, it says every, that every time we are disturbed, no matter what the cause, there is something wrong with us and italicized with us. If somebody hurts us and we are sore, we are in the wrong also. Here's the question, but are there no exceptions to this rule? What about justifiable anger? If someone cheats us, aren't we entitled to be mad? can't we properly can't can't we be properly angry with self-righteous folk here's the answer for us of aa these are dangerous exceptions we have found that justified anger ought to be left to those better qualified to handle it so just in the just in the spirit of living a spiritual life I want to be at peace, I don't want to be right, I don't want to have to fight against anybody else's thoughts or theories or ideas, and I don't want to have to defend my own. That's not what I'm about today. You know, live and let live. I don't want to fight against anybody else, and I don't want to have to defend myself. I take a look at my character defects. This I can do something with. This I can do something with. If all the if all the uh, facts and all the information points to the other person is wrong, that I'm, I'm stuck to be angry and resentful. Resentment is the number one offender. You know I cannot afford that today. So in answer to your question, what, what Bill has written for us is there are no exceptions to this rule. For the sake of how we live today, for the sake of how we live today, uh, we have to take a look at where we went wrong. I'll pass. Thank you.
0: Thank you, Penny E. Anyone else like to respond to this that? This is Janet. Yes, go ahead. Thank you.
2: Um, two things. Two things struck me, and and what a wonderful question that is too. You know, it, I have this on a posted note in several places. It says, "Bless them, change me. Bless them, change me." And that's always a good starting point for me. Bless them change me. But the other thing that the big book teaches is we don't lead with the chin. You know, we don't lead with the chin. And and it sometimes is maturity on my part that finally um you know, it's the lessons in maturity that I need to learn that get me to a point where I can say, you know, I I if I don't lead with the chin, then I just don't keep putting myself in a situation that's a setup you know, that's a setup, you know, it, I, I've learned compassion enough to recognize when people are who they are, let me accept them just for who they are. They're on their own spiritual journey, they're right where they're supposed to be. And so I do what I need to do to also be clear, you know, about what I see. So I bless them, change me, and then help me Give me the strength and the grace to do whatever I need to do in the situation. You know, that's the most helpful for everybody because if it's a setup and I keep putting myself in that situation, then I'm going to get the same result every time. You know, and and I don't know how God will change that situation. But what I do know is, you know, there are lessons, great lessons to be learned for me in, in how to be mature and responsible and I don't know if that helps
0: at all, but with that, I'll pass. Thank you, Janice. Penny C., did you want to respond to that?
3: All I would like to do is, Penny E. referred to what um, some AAs call the sick man's prayer, that we realized that the other person who wronged us was perhaps spiritually sick, etc. And I'd just like to give the reference for that. It's on page 67 in the big book. I've printed this out several times um and made copies and brought it to my face-to-face meetings and um you know uh it it's I let me just say that many many people have told me how very much this helps them to think about this when someone else may have wronged them.
0: Thank you Penny. And any other questions related to step three or anything that was shared this morning by our panelists? I will take that as a no, and I'll take this opportunity to thank, uh, with a heart full of gratitude, to our three panelists this morning. We heard from Penny E., Janice, and Penny C. Thank you for your time and sharing your experience, strength, and hope with us on the line. I'm going to close the meeting with the reading that we're all familiar with from page 164 in the big book. Our book is meant to be suggestive only. We realize we know only a little.